The Daily Rios for Monday, August 17th, 2015. A review of Morning Glories issues 7 through 12. This is a continuing series of reviews that I'll be doing on the title Morning Glories from Image Comics from the Shadowline imprint. And Morning Glories, the title is just about ready to hit issue 50 in a few months. So I thought, why not go back and do a review of the issues, of those specific issues as they are traded. For instance, the first trade has issues 1 through 6, so the first episode was on issues 1 through 6. This episode will be on issues 7 through 12, and those are the issues contained in the second trade paperback called All Will Be Free. Now, I have the issues for all of these, so that's how I read it. Um, this way, it's an easier way to read along if you are playing along, or if you're just going to wait until I'm done, and then maybe you can pick up the trade somewhere, and you can pick out an episode per trade. Now, the really interesting thing last week is I released the episode on a Monday, and I didn't know at the time, but Comixology was having a sale on the first trade paperback to celebrate the fifth anniversary of Morning Glory since it came out in August of 2010. And I talked about that last episode that, uh, you know, the issue, issue number one had come out in August 2010. Um, well, not only was Comixology having a sale, they were giving away the first trade for free. So I tweeted about it, even though they only had a number, maybe two more days uh, that they were going to give it away for free. So I hope somebody out there, if you follow me on Twitter, I hope that you saw that. And if you don't have the series, this was your way to get the first six issues totally for free. So I thought that was really cool. Now, because this is a review, I will be going in-depth on these issues. I don't hit every major plot point. I don't hit every spoiler. I don't do intensive issue-by-issue, page-by-page breakdowns. It's really kind of an overview, but I will say certain things that if you haven't read these issues or if you're saving them for later, maybe you want to hold off on this episode. It's my way of saying spoilers by saying I will be going in-depth. Now, the first thing I actually want to talk about in this episode, which I didn't do last episode, and it's something that I like to do, and it's something that I really believe in in some cases— it's just it's talking about the title itself of Morning Glories or the Academy called Morning Glory Academy. Now, if you're going to name it something like that, it's not just a clever name to give to a school and give to the mascots and give to the students. It, it has to mean something. So I did a quick search around the interwebs and came up with this. Now, I knew Morning Glory was a flower. Certainly, if you are familiar with the series or with the first, uh, the covers to the first six issues, they would have a morning glory flower on the cover. And uh, my sister, my older sister, one of my sisters, um, she is a florist. So I knew what a morning glory was. Uh, it's a flower. It's a flower that blooms and dies within a single day. Okay. Uh, so I pulled out a couple meanings here, and they all are kind of fun. So this one says, uh, the morning glory flower blooms and dies within a single day. In the Victorian meaning of flowers, morning glory flowers signify love, affection, or mortality. One of the things I've been feeling with this series is that it feels like every story arc takes place within a week, and almost that every issue could represent a day or more or even a day that goes over midnight, right? So that's kind of interesting, and it's it's an interesting uh, definition, if Nick Spencer has paid attention to it, for a certain type of writing technique, right? The morning glory flower blooms and dies within a single day, a single issue. A story has to bloom and die within a single day. It has to begin and end within a single day. So not only is this title... Uh, not only does it have a mystery that is going forward and a narrative that is going forward and a plot, but within its 
its individual pieces, it has to mean something. And it has to have uh, some kind of worthwhile feeling for the reader. It has to feel full for the reader as each issue goes on. So I love that. I love that. Some of this is just me putting it on. I have no idea what Nick Spencer thinks. I didn't read any interviews. I'm trying to just go into this nice and cold so I can present this as truly my own thoughts. And I may read some reviews after I write up all of my notes um, on individual issues. I am not looking ahead. I don't know what the answers are. I know there are a couple of Morning Glory Wikipedias. I'm not even looking at that. I want to really focus on the material as it's presented to me. Um, here's another description. The star-shaped morning glory is symbolic of a single day each year in which the Chinese lovers Qian Yu and Qi Nyu are allowed to meet. According to lore, Qian uh, Yu was a boy was a boy star who was entrusted to take care of water buffalo in the Heavenly Kingdom. A girl star named Chi Nyu was put in charge of seamstress duties. They fell in love, and the romance caused them to neglect their duties. In anger, God forced the young lovers to be separated on both sides of the Silver River and allowed them to meet only once during the whole year. Now, the only thing I, I kind of pulled from that was this idea of, of these stars having duties. And it feels like that's what the faculty keeps telling the new recruits. You know, you're here for a reason, not only individually, but collectively. You're here for the future, right? The, the What's the slogan from the first volume? For a better future, build a better future, right? So that's something I kind of pulled from that first, uh, from that description. Now, here's a continuation from that same definition where they talk about the flower having medicinal purposes. The seeds ha could have, uh, could be used as a hallucinogenic, and the water morning glory is actually edible. So it's just some quick little things. Now, and then the last one I found was. This one I really like. Since the early 20th century, the morning glory is something which or someone who shows early promise but fails to maintain it over the long term. And again, the expectations of these students at the school kind of fits that, fits that definition. And that talk about some students having it and some don't have it. Some have the promise and some don't. And maybe that's something that the school cultivates. Um, the Morning Glories Academy acts as a seeding ground for all of these ideas. You know, there's a lot of things you can kind of pull from it, but I just wanted to throw that out there because uh, as Neil Gaiman is often quoted in saying, names have power. And you name something Morning Glories and the design of the covers and the design of the inside front cover and the usage of Morning Glory as a flower, as an image, uh, it, it has to mean something. So there you go. All right, so these are issues 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 in a, in a volume that is called All Will Be Free. Um, a, a quick overview of this volume. After the events of the first six issues, these issues are really not quite one and done, but they are issue-by-issue issue character breakdowns of five of the six recruits that we have come to know. The only one that's not featured is Casey. Maybe that's because she was the main feature in the first five issues. I'm not sure. But the spotlight issue to issue, starting with issue seven, is issue seven has Zoe. Then we have Hunter. Um, issue nine is with June... Issue 10 is with Jade. Issue 11 is Ike. And then issue 12, uh, kind of like issue 6, is a little bit of a breakaway from what we've been seeing, and it features a new faculty member, which is great. So we get all these individual stories, but what I really like about the way they are put together by Nick Spencer and company is that... Even though they these six recruits 
when we first meet them, are very much character types, stereotypes, you know. Uh, Casey being courageous. Hunter looked on as being kind of meek and shy. Uh, June is the strong one. You have um, Zoe the vamp, and you have uh, the goth, you know, you have the, the, the freak in Jade. You have all these all these stereotypes, all these um, character tropes that we or adults like to put young people in, right? Um, what it brought to mind was, you know, the monologue going, you see them as you want to see them, a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, or a criminal, right? If you know what that, where that's from, from Breakfast Club, right? So then you get these issues, and suddenly we are seeing all of these individual students that we got to know. And instead of seeing them in this new world, in this new setting, in this new environment, and how they act and interact as these individuals, now we're seeing them trying to being entrenched in this new world as they try to struggle with uh, their present by showcasing what has happened to them in the past. So it digs a little deeper inside of all these characters. The layers are peeled back. We know what to expect from them based on what we've been given so far and how do they act in response to that or how do they act in opposite of that, in opposition of our expectations. So that's what these issues do. We get their histories, there are some really interesting narrative effects that Nick Spencer and company are using. Um, more mysteries are brought up, a few answers, which is great. But really, it's a way to sort of say, okay, you think you know these characters. Now let's give them a whole new way of um, reader interaction. Let, let's just give them a whole new spotlight, a whole new way to think about them, especially for whatever's coming next. And that's what I liked about this. So I can imagine if you were reading this month to month that maybe this story arc slowed down for you a little bit, especially if you're one of those people that needs to know all the answers right away, you know. But they're slowly developing them and they want to give you insight into who they are and not just make them stereotypes, but make them real people and make them real characters, right? Which is really an author's intent. You have these characters you got to give them somewhere to go and somewhere to grow and what is their journey and who will they become later on, um, depending on the situation or what kind of new plot line comes up. So I read them, I was reading them, you know, a few issues a day, maybe in one issue the next day. So I was starting, I could see the development probably easier than someone who is reading it and then you got to wait a month. And then issues 9 and 10 or 10 and 11 were delayed a little bit. So not only did you have one month, sometimes you might've had two months or, or eight weeks or something like that. So I can, it's kind of like when I did a rewatch of, or I should say when I watched uh, Lost or Battlestar Galactica for the first time after it had already ended, um, Battlestar, Galacta, Battlestar Galactica had already ended and I, I watched it for the, when I watched it for the first time and it was great. I didn't have to wait weeks at a time, months at a time. I didn't have to wait for a summer Lost was just about ready to start issue six, so I uh, series six as season six. So I got to see uh, seasons one through five without any crazy delays, right? So nothing felt slow to me because I was watching the arc. It's the same way when I did a re rewatch of Smallville. You know, those early seasons, everybody says, "Oh, it's just a freak of the week, a meteor freak of the week." Well, when you watch them in close proximity episode after episode, you start to see, oh, no, the narrative is there. The the Pa Kent, Ma Kent narrative, the Lex Luthor, Clark Kent relationship, all that kind of stuff is building um, within all this, you know, Meteor Freak of the Week episodes. But anyway, I was fine with this volume, and I actually appreciated the use of the comic book medium as much as they did, the way to use the medium for its... Uh, uh, in its favor, and in a way that maybe movies can't or books can't. So I, I did appreciate that. So how are these issues connected? 
most of them start off with a prologue. And it's a prologue set in the past, in the past lives of, uh, not the past lives, but in the past for each of these students. And if you pay attention, each of these prologues get closer and closer to the present. So you have Zoe's prologue taking place 13 years ago in Mumbai, India. And if this volume takes place in 2010 or 2011, or the kids are supposed to be 16, then she's only three years old. If, uh, yeah, I don't think the kids have aged any. They're supposed to be 16. So 13 years ago, she is uh, three years old. With issue eight, with Hunter, it's only six years ago. So he's 10 years old. With issue nine, it's five years ago. So Yun Jun is uh, 11 years old. Issue 10, now this one's a little tricky because issue 10, Jade's issue, is more about dreams. But in her dream, her mother appears and they get in a car and it's supposed to be reflective of an actual event that we have to assume killed her mother, that there was a car accident that killed her mother. And the only way to know when that happened, when that happened, is because on the car, the on the windshield, the tag says August 08. So that's technically only two years ago when she was about 14, 13 or 14. So the tag is the clue to when this event happened. And I just seem to say, okay, well then that has to be Nick Spencer's way of saying this is this is where I'm placing this quote-unquote prologue. And then issue 11, which is Ike's issue, takes place only one year ago. So just as issue 6 was about the future, all these little prologues are about the past. And that's not the only thing that key, uh, connects them. The other thing that connects them is the introduction of a character named Abraham who has touched their lives in some way. If you know Lost, if you know the character of Jacob when we got the reveal that he was suddenly in everybody's lives, in their lives um, before they ever got to the island in very mysterious ways, that's what this connection is. Now, it also felt to me like uh, Noah, the character of Noah in Heroes. And you think of, you know, the biblical name of Noah and the biblical name of Abraham and Jacob, you know, he's pulling from various things, right? So Abraham has connected with all of their lives. These prologues seem kind of random, um, but in the timeline, they are coming closer and closer to the present, especially especially because with Ike's issue, you find out who Abraham actually is, at least in relation to uh, the new recruits. But I won't say more than that because not much more has happened once you find that reveal, so I'll wait until more story has developed to talk about that aspect of it. Um, he has given each new recruit something. Uh, for instance, for Zoe, it's the mantra or the way of living your life in the in the phrase of um, uh, faith isn't about understanding, it's about putting your hand in someone else's and learning to take the good with the bad. For Hunter, he gives him a watch and and what that means. And, and also telling him uh, to always look where he's going. For Yun, for June, I never know how to say his name, um, he basically rescues him from the events of his issue, which, you know, we'll get into a little deeper in a bit. I don't think he was present. I don't think Abraham was present in Jade's issue. Although there are a few characters that could be Abraham in her dream. Um, yeah, I don't know if... Yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about that when I get to that issue. So I'm not sure about that. And then, as I said, there's a big reveal for um, for Ike. He helps Ike during a situation. And then there's uh, another reveal beyond that. So the character of Abraham, these pro prologues, are all things that connect all these issues in a narrative sense. The other way that they're connected is in the way they're told. Usually the, the prologue comes first, and then 
Um, there's some kind of sequence uh, either within the present or maybe it jumps around to the past and then the past comes back again. So he's Nick Spencer and company are flip-flopping back and forth through the past and the present. And then it gets to uh, June's issue and Nick Spencer kind of flips it. And instead of being... Uh, the first thing, instead of the first thing you do, you see is Abraham. It's actually the last thing you see at the end of the issue, which is a nice little twist. By by the third issue of this, you're expecting the same kind of formula. I'm going to see Abraham. He's going to do something for June, um, and then we're going to jump to the present and see how it all connects. Well, in that issue, which is my favorite of this bunch, issue nine is a fantastic issue. Um, June is young and he's being visited and if, and it happens at a a place where you turn the page. Uh, someone is coming to visit him and in my mind, I'm just thinking, oh, here comes Abraham. No, it's not. It's it's other members of the Morning Glory. Well, it's Miss um, Darramount and Mr. Gribbs from the Morning Glory's Academy. And the reason... I corrected myself there is because at the end of that issue, you find out Abraham is not involved with them. So he says, because that was a question I had, is he involved with the morning glory uh, Academy? Is he, is he a recruit? Does he go out and find these special kids? But no, it turns out he's not. So that was a little bit of a bait and switch. That was a little bit of a trick out that Nick Spencer gave us. We were thinking it's going to be Abraham. Nope, it's not. So I appreciated that. I like that. I like that. He switched things up. And then, of course, with the Jade issue, we don't get him at all. At least I don't think we do. Unless he, like I said, unless he's one of those characters. So the narrative, the way Nick Spencer and company are tell is with the way they're telling the story feels similar. And then he plays loose and fancy free with it as the issues go on. So that was something I really liked. There were a couple of phrases that popped up, just like in the first volume of issues. The phrase that we kept seeing was the the hour of our release is drawing near. And in this volume, only in a few places, we kept seeing the phrase, all will be free. Don't know exactly what that means just yet, but that's another slogan that's popping up. The other thing that seems to be popping up, and I don't know if it's a, if this is as frequent as the other ones, but there, there's this idea of... Um, opening your eyes. It happened at least twice, and I meant to go back to see if I found it in other issues, especially in issues one through six. But in the um, in the Hunter issue, it shows up in a comment that says, "When we're done with your sorry ass, your eyes will most definitely be opened." And then in Jade's issue, at the end of the issue, Nurse Nine, the evil Nurse Nine, is standing over her as she's coming out of uh, unconsciousness. The nurse says, uh, what did you see when your eyes were opened? And I feel like that phrase, I feel like that question is being used in other places. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep note of that. All right, so individually, if we go issue by issue... And I'm going to do this real quick. I'm not going to I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do real in-depth issue by issue breakdown. Issue 7 is about Zoe, and we already know that she's an orphan. So we find out that her mother, who was a prostitute to make money, was killed by her father, and it happens to be Zoe's earliest memory. And when Abraham comes along, there's a discussion about uh Zoe as a young girl having gifts and this is a question i've been wondering beyond just the smartness and the intelligence and the luckiness of some of these characters does this world have supernatural paranormal metahuman whatever you want to call it does it have uh that capability do people have abilities you know we've seen that phasing man We've seen some things dealing with the future, but, you know, do they have gifts? And that's something that is brought up with Zoe. And it's kind of given evidence because she's never met Abraham, but she knows his name. And she's never heard English, and yet she can speak it. 
So I thought that was kind of interesting. So we learned that about her past. So in the present, Zoe is feeling really restless. She's feeling used because Casey didn't fill her in on the plan to rescue Jade in issues four and five. So she feel like feels like she has to do something. Well, she was a cheerleader in her past life, and there happens to be a cheerleading squad at uh, Morning, Morning Glory's Academy. Their mascot is a ram. So she decides that she wants to be a cheerleader, and they tell her to meet her uh, you know, later that night for some kind of hazing thing that she's kind of, you know, questioning like, oh, great, what's this going to be like? Well, it turns out they hand her a device and they say, if you tell a lie, that device will let us know. And they ask her three questions. What was her earliest memory? Which, as I mentioned, was uh, her dad killing her mom. The second one what was, what's the worst thing she ever did? And it turns out to be this story... Uh, a year ago, in her other school, she was a cheerleader. She had a friend. Uh, the friend had to go do some kind of assignment with a teacher. So Zoe walks in and finds uh, the teacher um, attacking the, the other student sexually. Uh, and she rescues the girl, hits the teacher over the head. The, the teacher hits a desk, and he dies. It turns out, it was a rape fantasy uh, sex act between the teacher and student. And to hide the evidence, uh, Zoe and the girl throw the body into a furnace. And she says to the girl, look, I don't care if this is something you wanted. He was a grown man. It was sick. He shouldn't have done it. And do you want to be known as the girl who was involved in all this? Or do you want to go have a family? Do you want to have go to college? So by doing this, I'm helping you. And she said in the present, she says to Amanda, the head cheerleader at the Morning Glory Academy, you know, I don't feel bad for what I did. He was sick for doing what he did. And she says a line, she says, look, isn't murdering, doesn't murdering someone give me a merit badge in this place? I love how she's so kind of just matter of fact about the school and that there's all this crazy stuff happening. Um, and anything that she has done shouldn't even matter because there's worse things at the school. They all sort of take it in stride. It's again, it's that one of those things that I'm finding with this title is a lot of this, a lot of the students just take all this stuff in stride, but I guess that's what you have to do because it's part of this larger story. Now, the third question they ask is who is David? And that was something that happened in the earlier issues in the first volume where uh, Zoe sees that weird phasing man and she says, David? Turns out all of this is being done because Mrs. D used Amanda, the head cheerleader, as an informant to learn information from Zoe, to see if Zoe would reveal who is David and how does she know David and what is David, you know. Um, so Amanda was acting as an informant which means you can't trust anybody at this school. You can't make friendships, which I like. You know, you never know who's around the corner. So Amanda leaves Mrs. Daramont, Daramount's office, which happens to be in a dungeon. I really would love to know if the creators have a map of the school because it's mind-boggling. And all of a sudden, doors start to close on their own. And someone with a knife threatens Amanda and then kills her, slices her up. And it turns out to be Zoe. I'm assuming she has a knife in her hand. It's got blood on it. She got blood on her hands. When she goes back to her um, dorm room, Casey says, hey, look, are we good about what happened? And Zoe says, you know what? I got it out of my system. So what's going on? You know, is Zoe a killer? Uh, it was very Scream Queen-like, you know, seeing the girl running through hallway, doors are closing, and then there's someone with a knife, and she gets stabbed or sliced. I'm not quite sure by the artwork. Um, yeah, so that kind of puts a whole new thing on Zoe. You know, is she psychotic? Is she... She just kills, and she's okay with that? So, yeah, very strange, very strange. I want to know more. Issue 8 is the issue that focuses on Hunter, and what we learn about him in the prologue is... Abraham gives him a watch, asks him what time is it, and he says 8.13, although the clock, the, the face on the watch says 1.13 or 2.13. So 
So I thought that was a mistake on Joe Eisman's part. Well, it turns out, no, it's not a mistake. Hunter can't visually see what a clock is actually saying. No matter how he looks at it, it, it always says 813. The only time he can see the face of a watch or clock is if someone draws it. But if it's an actual time device, he always thinks it's 813, which means he's always late. Uh, he was late to his mother's funeral, which was the part in the past that was kind of very touching and depressing. Um, so that made me think, well, I want to go back. I'm going to go back through issues one through six. Was he always late before? I know that he had trouble meeting up with the group in issue four, I think it was, when they were trying to you know, devise their plan, and he was late there. So was that in reference to all of this? So I really want to go back and see that because that's a nice little personality touch. And does he have a watch? Does he have a watch in the artwork in those earliest issues? The other thing Abraham says is, from now on, you always look where you're going. And that is in relation to what actually happens in this issue. So um, Hunter gets up enough courage to ask Casey on a date. They can't really go anywhere. And Casey even says it. She says, where can we go? I love that this series, sometimes I ask a question and suddenly a student will ask it too, like in an, in the next issue or in a couple pages. Uh, so they decide on a picnic. Well, he starts listening to a song, and it's an actual song. He's he's all happy, and he's dancing down the hall the hallway and singing this song as everybody looks on. And it's a song called uh, Ambling Alp by the group Yaysayer. And it's an, I listened to it. I thought it was something that would come from overseas, and it's not. It's an, it's an American experimental rock band from Brooklyn, New York, formed in 2006. Uh, their sound is described as Middle Eastern psych snap gospel, and their influences include Bollywood soundtracks from the 70s, Map Fumo records, and Celtic music. Uh, many criti critics describe the album, their music, as having spiritual influences. And one of the one of the uh, singers in the group says, when you lack any specific religion, you become open to all sorts of religious music. And I think everyone can agree that some of the most beautiful music ever written was done so in the name of God or gods. And come on, gods, you know, that's that's going to be relevant in a later issue. Um, and it's kind of a nice, again, it's a personality touch. It's a personal characteristic touch for Hunter as he's singing this song. Maybe I'll include the link to YouTube uh, so that you can hear it. Well, as he's going down the hallway, he bumps into this guy, Chad from Australia. And Chad is like, ah, mate, you know, that's okay. No, no hard feelings. Just watch where you're going. Um, well, it turns out there are hard feelings because suddenly in this weird sort of mirror, mirror switch, Chad is suddenly very, very violent later on when they meet up later as uh, Hunter is going out for his date and there's another guy with him named Steve and then there's a third guy who the, they keep calling the captain who looks like June and this is the guy from all the way back in issue 2 that held a gun to June's head as he was trying to escape and you were like what? They, why do they look alike? well Hunter just thinks it's June they beat him up they put a bag over his head they drag him off they're about ready to do something to him, something violent, something sexual. I have no idea. When all of a sudden, it's these these two pages. They're all in black. All you see are word balloons. Uh, they mention some girl, and they're gonna they're gonna take her and use her too. And all of a sudden, all you hear are stabbing sounds and and or some kind of weird killing sounds. Um, Hunter misses his date. He's trying to escape. The real quote unquote June comes to rescue him. And they see the two boys, not the one that looks like June, but the other two boys, strung up and gutted. And then that's where you see the phrase, all will be free. So was that supposed to be Zoe? We just saw her kill someone last issue. Was that supposed to be her? Don't know. But what the one of the answers we get from the first volume, Hunter says, June, there was a guy that looks just like you. And he says in the cliffhanger, yeah, that's my brother. 
Dun, dun, dun. So that's a, at least one mystery semi-solved and just brings up a whole other, you know, group of answers. But what exactly were those guys, what, are the, what were they going to do to Hunter? Um, he wakes up when they're gone. He wakes up in a greenhouse all full of morning glories, of course. And they kept saying things about, you know, I got to grab a handful. I aim to overdo it. I don't, what were they going to do? I have no idea. I really want to know. I really want to know what they were going to do. The other thing you learn about Hunter in the past is that he went to therapy or he went to seek help for why everything, he, why can't he figure out what a clock says? Um, he gets a CAT scan and the nurse says she has never seen anything like it when she looks at his brain scan. And then a gun is pointed to her head and they say, don't tell him anything you learned. Tell him he has to just go see a therapist. So whoever that was, was trying to keep this knowledge from Hunter. And he goes and sees a therapist, but she's kind of wishy-washy. And it's you. he never gets an answer. He never. We get an answer. We realize that there's something about him, but he never gets that answer, which it's being withheld from him, which is kind of tragic, but kind of awesome. This is also a fun Joe Eisman issue. He has fun with... Uh, Hunter getting ready. There's a nine panel page of Hunter looking in a mirror and putting on different ties and fixing himself up, which was great. Um, when he, when Hunter gets kidnapped, Casey is waiting for him in the yard to have this picnic. And there's this nice little back and forth between the two visually as the time, as the day goes on and gets darker and windier. Uh, you know, Joe Eisner show, showcases passage of time Hunter is trapped and, and tied up in the greenhouse. Casey is waiting for him, feeling sad, whatever. It's a nice little juxtaposition. I really liked what he did with those pages. The other thing about this issue, and I'll, I'll wait to talk about this at the end of the episode, is there's a TV series that's mentioned. Hunter says that one of his favorite teachers gave him this TV series to watch. And I looked up what it meant, and I want to talk about that at the end of the episode, though. So that's, that's issue eight. Okay, issue nine, it's June's story, and this was my favorite issue, probably of the title to date, because he gives us a reveal that he, Nick Spencer and company, are very honest about. So if you're paying attention while you're reading this issue, you should know what's going to happen, and I am going to talk a little bit about it because I thought it was just so, so great. So just like the other issues, we get these prologues. We also get we also return to that scene, that cliffhanger at the end of issue two, where the guy that looks like Jun is pointing a gun to his head. And then we get a flashback to uh, Japan, or at least, um, yeah, it must be Japan. Um, and there are these two boys. One of them is Jun, and the other one is Hisao, or H-I-S-A-O. And... Okay, well, that explains it. They're brothers, probably twins, right? And the mother is yelling at them, and they say, you know we're expecting company. Knock, knock, knock. Is it Abraham? No, it's Mrs. Dar Miss Darramount and Mr. Gribbs, who both speak Japanese. So clearly the Morning Glories are recruiting, and Mrs. Uh, Miss Darramount says to the mother, um, how can you tell them apart? I can't really tell them apart. Um, and she says, the one with the horrible manners is June. The one that knows better but still goads him on is Hisao. So June is supposed to be, and he's shown as being kind of rough and tumble and mean to his brother. That's not how June is, the June that we know, okay? So I kept thinking, all right, maybe something happened, that there was a switch, you know, in this kind of title. One of them could die, and that's why June changes his colors um, the two boys are roughhousing. They break a statue that was left by their father, who I have to assume is dead. And, uh, Hisao, who is the quieter, meeker one says, look, I'll tell mother that I did it. She won't be as mean. Uh, she won't, she won't expect it from me. You know, um, we'll, we'll, we'll work around this because I'll, I'll take the fall. So I thought, oh, is this the reason why June kind of breaks character maybe he thinks all right maybe i'll be nicer to my brother um maybe the mother really was gonna flip out and beat up his sal and maybe he dies or something and and june forever feels 
uh, horror and tragedy, you know, and that's why he changes his ways. Uh, well, no, that's not it either. And while they're talking about it, uh, Hassal says to him, look, I'll never let anything happen to you. So then we flip to the present and uh, June, the June that we know, you know, he's he's saying, look, I came here for you for for you. I came to the, the academy for you. And the brother is flipping out and saying, no, 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 no way. You're not taking me from here. June says, look, I think you're brainwashed. I was warned that you were brainwashed. Warned by who? I don't know. And the brother that looks like him say, is saying, you know, he, he sounds like he's brainwashed. He says, I won't let you hurt the people I care about. Um, you're just here to destroy this place. And Jun says, the people that you care about, what about what they did to us? So I'm wondering, well, what did they do? Well, we flash back to the past and we get a little bit of a revelation here that was a little confusing at first when I read it. Um, about the birth date of these twins. On the birth certificate, it says 2359, the 4th of May, which which must mean 1159 p.m. And the mother says, oh, well, that was Hassal's birth time. They must have put Hassal's birth time down for both of them. Here, June was born a half hour earlier, and Hassal almost missed his birth date which made Mrs. D and Mr. Gribbs kind of go, what? Right? Because remember, all these kids have to be born on May 4th. Well, not only do they have to be born on May 4th, do they also have to be born at 1159 on the cusp of May 4th to May 5th? I thought they, because they no longer want to take June because he was born a half hour earlier. And I thought maybe it was because of the time. Now, you know, they both were born May 4th, so I'm confused by this. Is it because of the time difference? Um, is it just because one of them was not born at 1159, but yet they still were born on the 4th of May? Because she clearly says they put down his Sal's birth time for both of them. Not June's, and he was born a half hour earlier. So I, I was a little confused by that. So anyway, they only want to take his Sal, and the mother says, no, you got to take both. So Mrs. D says, all right, Mr. Gribbs, do your thing. And he beats her up and kills her while uh, June looks on. And as he's running away, Miss uh, Mr. Grip says, do we want him? And she says, no, we want the other one. We cut back to the present. Uh, evil, mean, lookalike brother keeps saying to June, you know, you're a failure. You just want to steal everything I have. And the June that we know says, that is not who you are. You're starting to see what's ready to happen. This, you know, pretty early on in this issue, I was like, I see where this is going. Well, June, who had witnessed the death of his mother, runs upstairs and tells his Sal, tells his brother to switch shirts. That's the only way that Miss D and Mr. G can tell them apart. And in the present, the June that we know says, you were not the one they wanted. You are not his Sal. I am. I am, dun, dun, dun. So he's not June, he's a Sal. And there's this great splash page of of a young uh, June hugging, the real June hugging his Sal and realizing that he has to sacrifice himself, switch shirts, sacrifice himself, and um, go to the Morning Glory Academy. So they do that, and um, in the cliffhanger from issue two, he was going to shoot his brother, the crazy one was going to shoot Hassal, the real Hassal, but he's stopped um, by Mr. Gribbs, and they pull him away, and he says, who pulled you out of the fire? Who sent you here? Who sent you here indeed? We cut back to the past, and it turns out that Abraham saved uh, Hassal and says, you will see him again. And that's how... The character that we know as June showed up at the Morning Glory Academy in issue one. Now I'm going to open up the trade for issue one because there was an interesting thing that happened when the chauffeur picked up June at the airport. And remember when he picked him up, he had a sign, he had an anagram of his name. And he said, uh, is that, the chauffeur said, is that your name? And June said, well, no, no, it's not, but it is an anagram of my name. And the chauffeur says, right, 
but does that allow you to claim this name for yourself? Jun says, I'm sorry. And the chauffeur says, well, that's a bit better. You'll pick it up in no time, I'm sure. So did the chauffeur actually know? Um, I, I wonder this. Does Morning Glory Academy, does Miss Daramount, does Mr. Gribbs, do they know who June really is? And if not, that's a little secret that they don't know and that the students know. And who knows how that, that will turn out uh, later. So it's a great little flipping of the script. It's a great reveal. I love the issue. I love the way it was broken down uh, panel-wise and flipping back and forth between um, the past and sort of the immediate past of several issues back, you know. Uh, so we get tons of answers, but more questions. It was just a fun, fun issue. I really, really dug it. Issue 10 was all about Jade with a lot of questions, some information, and it's all told in dreams. I thought this issue was the standout for Joe Eisma within these issues. Uh, he really captured the way dreams kind of meld one into the other. You open a door and it becomes another room. You're in a room and then there's a car that just happens to be there and you get in it and you drive away through the wall without anything happening, you know. Um, or you hear a bell in your dream and you wake up and your alarm clock is going off. All of these things happened in this issue, visual, done visually well, uh, this was his standout issue probably to date for me. In her dreams, she keeps reliving events that have already happened. She meets the bald girl, Megan, from the first arc. They're walking through hallways. The hallways are, are all curved. There's There are these magical morning glories coming out of the locker rooms, uh, out of the lockers. Um, there are these hooded people. And one of them says, so we created our own gods. Is that something Morning Glory is doing? Morning Glory Academy? Is that Abraham? I don't know. Um, she meets a man in, in a lab who has a beard. I wondered if maybe that was Abraham. She sees her mother. They get in a car. They drive through um, what looks like... It looks like the world has just been devastated by nuclear attack. It's very apocalyptic, which brings in mind issue six, right? There was hints of of a future of the superpowers going to war and Jade was older at that time. So is that connected? Apparently these are recurring dreams. She's had them three nights in a row and the guards bust in and they're like, look, if this happens again, we're going to take her. And Casey says, no, you won't. And I know you won't because the headmaster won't allow it, which makes the guards kind of back away. Casey's got this reputation with the guards and the students as being kind of tough very courageous, like, don't mess with her because she's going to F you up. In another dream, uh, Jade has a dream with this man who's dressed as kind of like an old Victorian aristocrat, and but yet he knows her and talks about how they had a relationship together. And it's clearly Ike. It's clearly Ike, an older Ike, a very rich Ike, a gray-haired Ike. Um, and uh, we'll talk about why it's him in a little bit. Well, then Jade and Casey go to class, and it's a, I don't know if this is a dream. I don't know if we're meant to think it's a dream. Is it real? The teacher starts teaching the students how to make a noose, and Jade volunteers to show what the noose does, and she gets, and Casey's like screaming, and the students are holding her down, and Jade puts her neck in the noose and walks off the table and just hangs there. And then there's this double-page spread, all white, except for a floating morning glory that then falls into the hands of older Jade from issue six. And then in walks younger Jade, or, well, older Jade helps younger Jade down from the, uh, uh, the slipknot, and they start talking, and clearly this isn't the first time they've done this. So I'm starting to think, is this, their, is this Jade's way of learning information, of connecting with the future. It's kind of like the character Layla from X Factor, where she kept saying, I know things. Well, the reason she knew things, if you don't know this, is because a future version of herself was coming back and telling her what was going on. So it's really interesting and, and enigmatic, and it's kind of still a dream sequence, but, um, you know, older Jade is just trying to help younger Jade, and she even says, look, if you see that older guy again, uh, tell him he's a sh he's shit in bed. 
you get a feeling that older Jade and older Ike had a relationship. And that's why I think that older character is probably Ike. And she keeps saying to Jade, look, you know, whatever they tell you, just tell them what you're looking at is this right now, these comics, these comets. And remember why we do all this for a better future. There's that another slogan that keeps coming up. And Jade wakes up in Nurse Nine's office. I assume this is after she hung herself. Um, and she says, all I see are silver streaks in the sky, prettiest smiles, getting closer now. What's getting closer? You know, are her tears the streaks in the sky? What's getting closer? Is the plan, what plan or are answers getting closer? Are the, is the future, is it her death? Ah, oh, so many questions with that issue. That was a little frustrating, but interesting nonetheless. Of all the characters, Jade is the one that's the most enigmatic. We don't really know who she is. We don't know how she plays with the other characters or with the other with the school in general. You know, she's in this kind of like secluded place within uh, the roster right now. Issue eleven was fine. It's Ike's issue. We learned that uh, you know. He really did kill his father, so we think. And the outcome of that, uh, he inherits the company, but he can't really take it over until he's 18. Um, he crashes his father's funeral with a party van full of girls. He's wild. He's crazy. The issue is a little bit cold, a little bit calculating, like Ike is. And then along comes Mr. Grig, Gribbs and says, look, I got something for you. If you do something for us, we will let you go, and we will never look for you ever again well the thing they want him to do is kill someone ike isn't so sure he can do it so mr grib says all right look look why don't you go in here and talk to this person and and it turns out to be miss daramount and she tries to persuade ike with her body with a language that he un understands sex or so he so we think um and she pulls down her hair and she tries to act all sexy and we learn that her name is uh, Georgina. I also think she's British. There's a couple things here and there that make me think she's British. Um, and, of course, Ike's like, yes, yes, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Well, Mr. Gribbs doesn't think he can do it. And he says, you know, I, 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 I want to, I question whether you killed your father or not. And then there's a cliffhanger that I don't think I want to talk about because it's a pretty good cliffhanger. Um all right, and then in issue 12, like issue 6, we get a totally different change of pace. We finally get the introduction of a new faculty member, and I think that's something we needed because all we know is Mrs. D and Mr. G and Nurse 9 and Miss Dagny and the elusive headmaster. So in comes Lara Hodge, who's the guidance counselor, and one by one she goes to each of the new recruits and... She either gives them something or talks about them. Um, she gives Zoe a gun. I don't know why. She tries to help Hunter through his time things. Um, she goes to Yun and says thank you. And you, you get the feeling that she's the one that brought him there to encounter his brother. She gives pills to Jade so she can sleep through the night. She doesn't go to Ike. She says, not yet. Um, she's, she's beloved by the other students. She stands up to the faculty, especially to Mrs. D. In fact, there's something like, she says, uh, look, I'm going to see these new recruits whether you want me to or not because I got permission from the headmaster. And she finds out that with all these deaths that have happened, with Amanda, the cheerleader, with the two boys that were trying to hurt Hunter, um, and with, uh, I guess, Brendan from way back in issue one, who got fingers in his eyes from the phasing man. Lara thinks that the headmaster is probably pissed, and she pulls back Mrs. D's sleeves, and she has all these bruises on her, so apparently she's getting punished. And she says to her, look, I'm going to do what I've always done since we were kids. I'm going to bail you out of trouble with Dad. Now, I don't know if she means that metaphorically, if the headmaster is really their dad, or that's just something that she's saying. Are they, you know, are they, are they really sisters? We have to assume so. So here comes a faculty member that is well-liked, different from the other faculty members, 
gives me a little bit of hope that, you know, not every faculty member is a demon, uh, you know, a, a mean person. And she feels like a device to bring the kids together, to bring them back together because they've been separated. And now maybe, you know, the new recruits will come back together. And whatever the next story arc is, maybe it'll revolve around Laura and what she gives to them. And I don't know. I don't know. I liked it because, you know, we were we're about ready. We're about due for um, a unified story arc. So that issue was good for that. Um, oh, what she gives Casey at the end. Apparently, Casey always goes down into the dungeon where her parents were killed every day. And Lara says, look, some of the, I'm not like the other faculty. I'm not here of my own free will. And if you want to burn this place down, I'm going to help you. And says to Casey, if you want to see your parents back, I can make that happen. What if I told you I could bring them back? So, wow, there's a cliffhanger. And that's how this story arc ends um, with a lot of questions, just like issue six. So that issue was okay. It was, you know, it was decent. It read pretty fast. Um, I like the character. She has her own set of mysteries. She has these files on all these students, but when you look at it, they're all blank. So is she a mind reader? Does she need the kids in close proximity so that she can read their past and future? I don't know. So um, the next volume will cover issues 13 through 19, and it is in, the trade is entitled P.E., I assume, like physical education. Uh, so next episode, we'll, I'll talk about that. Now, before I go, I want to talk about that TV series that Hunter mentioned in issue eight. So he mentions a TV series called Doom Watch. It was a BBC TV series, I believe. And here's the setup. Doomwatch was an agency dedicated to preserving the world from dangers of unprincipled scientific research. We were set up to investigate investigate any scientific research, public or private, which could possibly be harmful to man. But the real intention was to form a body with little power meant to stifle protests and secure green votes. The series talked about... Uh, embryo research, subliminal messages, wonder drugs, dumping of toxic waste noise pollution, nuclear weaponry, animal exploitation, etc. There were other stories, such as genetic mutation, creating a particularly large and vicious race of rats, and a virus that ate away at all types of plastic, causing airplanes to fall out of the sky. Less dramatic stories uh, centered around the medical dangers of jet lag, etc. Now, when I read that, this idea of going and investigating every scientific research, public or private, it made me think of the other uh, story that Nick Spencer referenced when he talked about the Invisibles. And one of the premises, one of the elevator pitches for Invisibles was, what if every conspiracy theory was true? What if AIDS was created by the government? What if uh, the universe does live on a bubble? What if there are aliens? What if, you know underworld organizations, religious cults are taking over politicians, all that kind of stuff, right? What if what if the president's baby was an alien? This made me think, this whole Doomwatch thing, this whole thing about scientific research, what if Morning Glories is about every scientific research uh, and paranormal research? What if it all existed and it all made sense? What if the worlds of X-Files and Lost and Fringe all meshed together and were in Morning Glories. Is that what this series about is about? The future, the past, the development of time travel, mind powers, um, but in a real world setting, not like you know, not not necessarily like Professor X, and not necessarily like heroes, but true science to explain everything. Magic could exist because there's science. Time travel could exist because there's science. The brain is utilized more than the 10% that is utilized because of science. What if all of this exists in this world and that's what the series is about? So when I read that, that's why I look up everything. I look up every reference in this book. Nothing is left unturned. 
if that's the case, that's pretty cool. So I'm going to keep that in, in the back of my mind as I read future issues. Wow, that was much longer than I thought it was going to be. But there's a lot to talk about. I hope you're reading along. I really do. I think you're, you're going to enjoy it. And if you're someone that likes to actively involve yourself in mysteries, this is the perfect series for it. I really wish this book came with letter columns. Um, I don't know. There's got to be discussion somewhere other than just reviews because there's a lot to talk about in these in these issues. Um, I'm not saying it's the greatest book ever. It's just fun. It's fun to read and it's fun to try to outthink Nick Spencer and company. And if he's dropping these references, do they mean anything? And when are the reveals going to happen? So I look forward to keep digging in. I'm going to do it again next Monday. I will drop another episode episode on issues. Uh, what did I say? 13 through 19. If you are reading along, I hope you're, you're enjoying it. This uh, conversation, if you're reading along for the first time, if you're doing a reread, um, you know, are you picking up on things that you may have missed? I know there's people out there that are probably already up to issue 47. So, uh, you know, and it, it's got to be interesting to hear what I'm saying and hearing my and hearing these speculations and these theories because you already know the answer. So I'm probably wrong on so much and right on other things, which is kind of fun. So, yeah. I'm enjoying doing this series, and I can't wait to do more of it. I'm enjoying reading it, and I hope you are too. So, all right, that's today's episode uh, 298 for Monday, August 17th. I will talk with you again tomorrow.